0: Lord God, we gather here today to declare you the way maker, the promise keeper, the light in our darkness. Father, as we continue this morning, we ask that your light burn bright, that your voice be heard, that you make the way this morning. Father God, be amongst us, visible, audible. Get our attention however you need to this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You be seated. So, it's said that you have about 15 seconds to get a group's attention. See, I've already lost some of you. And so, in, when you take preaching classes or, or Toastmasters or whatever kind of class and you're speaking in front of people, they tell you your intro has to be solid. The two things you have to do is you have to sandwich everything you do. You have to sandwich with a solid intro and then land the plane well at the end. If you do that... No one really remembers the middle anyway. So Andy Stanley, who's probably one of the better communicators ever, um, wrote a book a couple years ago called Preaching for Change. And in that book, he talks about these strategies on how to do an intro or manufacture an intro. And in that, he says that an intro always has to be very personal. So if you can start with the word me and explain why the scripture you're talking about today is important to you, then everyone else might be able to relate to that a little bit and you can go forward that way. Apparently, Jesus did not have the same professors that I did because he starts one of the most famous sermons ever preached with one of the most confusing intros ever done. So today we're going to be in the book of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 1. Now, chapter 5 starts what we call the Sermon on the Mount, And the Sermon on the Mount is the time that Jesus begins to basically preach the message that he wants everyone to take with him always. This is the time that he, if if you didn't get anything else, at least listen to this. It's a shift in the book of Matthew from what's coming to what is here. So Matthew is talking about the, the birth of Jesus and, and the baptism of Jesus. And now he gets into the meat of what Jesus is doing. So Jesus calls together his disciples, and that's important. He calls together his disciples, and a crowd happens to gather with them. This is kind of one of the issues or one of the obstacles or one of the things we face in the church, is that we, we have to somehow devise a message that is going to speak to the person that's been following Jesus for 35 years, but also speak to the heart of the person that just walked in off the street. And so what Jesus has done here is he is about to preach a message that was meant for the 12 people that have been following and spending his life with. Everyone else kind of gathers around because when Jesus is going to speak, I mean, let's face it, people gather. And they, they sit at the feet and they listen. So here's the 12 at his feet, and this is what he does, starting in Matthew 5, chapter, verse 1. He says, now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Rejoice. Be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecute the prophets who are before you, they're persecuting you. I, I think I think we we've done a very good job of whitewashing this. In fact, we've cleaned it up so well that in my intro to intro to biblical literature class in college, we had to memorize the Beatitudes and it was a test. Right? We we memorized it and then we had to write them all down. Same thing with the Apostles' Creed and all of these these doctrinal statements, because this is, a doc, this is a creed. This is a creedal statement right here. This is, this is Jesus laying out exactly what the kingdom of heaven looks like. Julia woke up this morning, and she had a, a shirt from Elevate on that said, Upside Down Kingdom. And I said, that's a perfect shirt for today, because well, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about how this is all flipped upside down. And it's, it's bizarre. It's weird. It doesn't make any sense. So today, when we hear this, we can hear it and go, yeah, okay, whatever, blessed, okay. But let, let me just ask you real quick. How does blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, help the parents who just lost an infant? I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't they rather have their infant than be comforted? I mean, it makes sense to me that, that these things that we're saying, blessed are, and, and here's, here's the, this is not spoken to 2020. This is Jesus literally talking to an oppressed people that have Roman centurions everywhere, that have no freedom, that can't get around doing anything. And and Jesus is basically saying, blessed are you for your lives being terrible. Blessed are you because everything stinks. Today we're actually going to have to put out there, blessed are Chiefs fans, for maybe someday they'll win a Super Bowl. It's the same kind of idea that we, blessed are you because your life is terrible. That makes no sense. And so here's what gets even more confusing about this intro. Jesus is obviously not speaking Greek, and and, and I wish that he was, because the Greek word for blessed is the most ridiculous word in the, it, it, it makes English make sense. Because this word literally has like 15 definitions, it depends on the context you use it in, very much so. And so people throughout the years have translated as blessed. Eugene Peterson created a, 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 a well, it was the craziest endeavor ever. He sought out to translate the New Testament by himself into a more readable language. And he, his first draft, he translated as, lucky are those who mourn. Lucky are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And his editors went, wait a second, you can't say lucky in church. We, we don't believe in that luck stuff. That, that, those Nevada churches, they're going to get a hold of that, and it's going to be gambling. It's going to be crazy. You can't say lucky. And so he comes back, and he, he, he changes it to happy, which is also the New Living Translation. Happy are those, which makes this intro even dumber. Happy are those who are horribly cursed. <laughs> Happy are those whose life is not going the way they ever thought it would. Happy are those who are, are down on their luck. What? The, the, there's, a, there's a translation called the New Jerusalem Bible. Here, here's a funny sidebar. Um, already planning on referencing the New Jerusalem Bible, Julie invited a colleague of hers to church, and she gave her a copy of the New Jerusalem Bible to give to me that a student had given her. I, I've never heard of the New Jerusalem Bible before, and now all of a sudden I have this big old thick copy. But anyway... The French translation of the New Jerusalem Bible uses the word debonair Now, here's the problem with that word for me. When I say, when I hear "Debonair are the peacemakers, I think of Cary Grant holding a make love, not war sign. <laughs> right? debonair debonair are the peacemakers. debonair are the meek. Like this word is so funny to us because it means like suave and, and, and slick. The word really just means good. <laughs> good are those, right? Good people. So maybe, maybe the best translation actually is closer to something like content, which is another word for this Greek word, another definition, would be contented are the people. Contented are the meek. Contented are, the, are, are, are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. Contented are the peacemakers. Because here's the problem when we use things like blessed and we use things like debonair or happy. We get this connotation that it's right now. This language has nothing to do with right now. This language in the the Beatitudes, which is what these are called, these blessed things, they're called the Beatitudes. This this language is all future language. It's all something that is coming. And, And as Jesus launches into the Sermon on the Mount, he is painting a picture of what the kingdom of heaven is going to be. Not what the kingdom of heaven is right now. He is saying that someday these things are going to happen. And he's challenging his people to be the kingdom of heaven now. And this is what it looks like it's upside down, it doesn't make sense. So if he was able to keep their attention past these 12 verses, props to him. Because I can't even imagine launching into something like this and then have people go, all right, I can't wait for the next 35 verses. Because it gets worse, it gets harder to handle. I mean, this sermon is is pretty steep with big stuff. And he starts off right off the bat with these crazy beatitudes. But it's important for us to recognize that he is talking about the kingdom of heaven that is here yet to come. So it's the kingdom of heaven. This is the problem with our language. We don't have a now, then word. We, we, We are taught tenses. We have past tense, present tense, future tense. Well, as the Sermon on the Mount, the tense is, yeah. It's all of them. It would drive an English teacher crazy. Because Jesus is constantly skipping between tenses. And you can't do that in an essay. I, I, I Trust me, I have like red marks on papers for doing it. You have to pick a tense and stay with it. But Jesus is like, I can't do that. Because the kingdom of heaven is here. But the kingdom of heaven is also coming. And the kingdom of heaven is also there. It's it's all over the place. So, when Jesus begins, and he begins in that very first, uh, verse 3, where he begins, he says this. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This one right here, this is is talking about an attitude. Can you go back to that slide for me, Becca? Thanks. Um, This is talking about our attitude toward God. This is not... This is not something that that is an attitude toward us. So blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, is how we relate to a God. Now, there's a difference between poor in spirit and poor spirited. Poor spirited means that you're always walking around beating yourself up. I'm never good enough. I'm never going to accomplish anything. The Chiefs are never going to win the Super Bowl. Well, that one's true. But the the other thing is that poor in spirit means... That you have this recognition of who you are, of how God has made you, and then you respect the limits that come with that. Let me give you an example. There's a reason I'm not on the worship team. And maybe that's because I'm poor in spirit. Not because I'm poor spirited, but I know when there are more talented people in the room, I should sit down. Yeah, I got an amen for that one. Was that you, Emma, or Megan? (laughs) They're never going to tell. There are things that we should do. It's almost like when a teenager comes up to me and I say, well, what are you going to do? Like, what are your plans for life? I'm going to play in the NBA. You're a 5'2 white kid. You're not going to play in the NBA, bro. You need to be a little more poor in spirit. You need to have a little bit of humility. You need, to, you need to recognize the fact that that ain't happening. It's just not going to happen. It's not going to take place. So poor in spirit are the ones that God says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because we know who God has made us. And if we know who God, how God has made us, then we know how to find our place in the kingdom of heaven. So the poor in spirit get to walk right into the kingdom of heaven because they're not trying to do something. They're staying in their lane, Right? And it's so important, and we've been talking about it at staff meeting, um, possibly running a class on spiritual gifts to try to figure out, like, what is our lane? Because some of us don't know what our lane is. Some of us are swerving all over the place, and we're completely sober. We just don't know where the lane is. It's like tomorrow when we wake up to drive, and the snow, they say, is coming. is all over the road. First of all, can we just talk about Nevada for a second? It was 70 degrees yesterday. And now we have a 30% chance of snow at 3 o'clock today. When you're driving and there's snow all over the road, it's impossible to stay in your lane. You just pick wherever everyone else is driven. It is so important for us to figure out what it looks like to know what our lane is so that we can stay in it. And so there are lots of things we can do. One of those things are spiritual gift inventories that we're thinking about doing with everybody and whoever's interested in doing it. Just so we know where it is. What am I good at? I have a, a buddy of mine. It seems like whenever you start out in the ministry, you either start as a children's pastor or a youth pastor. That's what they trust you with, the young impressionable ones. And I, 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 he tells a story of when he realized he wasn't a children's pastor is when one day he wanted to punt a five-year-old. How's that for an Done. His lane, not so much children's ministry. Finding that out and then acknowledging that. I also have a buddy of mine who is who, called to be a pastor. He is a great lover of people but cannot communicate to save his life. And listening to one of his sermons, and I'm sure I might get an amen for this too, is just brutal. It's all over, super boring. And one day he realized, you know, I could be a pastor and not preach. That's what it looks like to be poor in spirit, to acknowledge where you are, what you're short on, and how to function inside of God's kingdom that way. So blessed are the poor in spirit. They inherit the kingdom of heaven because they're participating in this kingdom that is coming, in this kingdom that is coming to earth. The next one is uh, the next verse 4 through (laughs) 7. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. This one has everything to do with our attitude towards sin. So the first one is our attitude toward God and where we fit in his kingdom. Where we fit in his kingdom, not where we tell him where we fit in his kingdom. This one is is our attitude towards sin. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. We use this one a lot to comfort individuals For their individual loss. And I think it works. I don't think we're we're taking it completely out of context to do that because I think that Jesus does care to comfort those who mourn. But I want you to think about just for a second what a first century Jewish occupied person heard when they said, Blessed are those who mourn. What are they mourning? (laughs) They're mourning occupation. They're mourning the loss of the God that delivers them from everything. They're mourning the voice of God because it's been 400 years of silence since Malachi. They're, they're, they're mourning all of these things that are going on in their life. They're, they're mourning the world that they live in. And there are things in our world that we can legitimately mourn. There are injustice, there's injustice going on constantly in our world that we need to mourn. It, it, should, it should break your heart. When... when uh, I, I, the, <laughs> This last week, someone asked me to pray for a situation of a foster kid who is aging out of the system and their younger siblings, they don't know what's going to happen. That should break our heart. We should mourn that. We we should mourn. and, And this is what's going, this is crazy right now because depending on what news sources you read, we should mourn the fact that there is something called the coronavirus breaking out in China. We, should, we shouldn't panic. We shouldn't just be angry about... How, we should mourn that. People are going to lose their lives because of this disease. We, that, that should make us mourn. We should mourn the lack of clean drinking water in, in Africa. We, we, we should mourn the lack of clean drinking water in the United States. We should mourn kids going to bed hungry. We should mourn those things. They, they should not be things that we just... Huh, If they would just pull up themselves by their bootstraps, they could be fixed. Maybe. But maybe we should take some time mourning those things. Because those who mourn, they will be comforted. Future talk. They will be comforted. That mom, that dad, that pastor, that's holding a lifeless child that was born minutes ago. In that moment, blessed are those who mourn for they'll be comforted. But here's the beauty of this future language because we don't know what that looks like. Because one day I do believe that when I'm in heaven that I will hold Casey again and I will be comforted because those tears that were of heartbreak and mourning will one day be tears of joy and strength. I rely on that. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. We don't even know how that comfort looks. But I'll tell you what. When you start telling God how comfort looks, you do this amazing thing where you turn the wine back into water. And you say, God, that's not, that's not how I want to be comforted. I, I want to be comforted a different way. And all of a sudden, you've now told God how to raise Lazarus. <laughs> I mean, when you think about that, you've, you, you've now told God how he's to do what he does. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Oh, this is a tough one, especially for Americans. And the farther west you go, even harder. We are strong people. We are not meek. But see, the problem is this word meek is always translated incorrectly because of our own minds and our own language. This word meek is more like the breaking of a horse, not, not some wimpy person. I mean, Moses and Jesus were both called meek. And I, and I can't think of two people that don't, don't fit the whole wimp stereotype. Meek, meek is more like this idea that you are a stallion that has surrendered to someone more powerful. So meek is more about, con- like, controlled power than anything else. Figuring out how to live your life in a way where you are ultimately the son of God, and how do you reign that in? You are a child of God. Now, what do you do with that? Do you go around, beat people up because of it, or do you use it and surrender it back to who Jesus made you? Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Why are they going to inherit the earth? Because we need to walk amongst people with the power that we possess the, the power that God has given us and be able to share that with everyone else. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Can I just make a promise real quick? If you seek righteousness, you'll find it. And I'm not talking about tomorrow, wake up and, and dedicate 10 minutes to seeking righteousness. I'm not talking about for, even for the next month. God, I'll give you three, three, four minutes a day, and I'm going to seek you with everything I got. If you honestly seek righteousness with everything you have, you will find it. If you thirst for it. Now, again, hear this as oppressed, poor people living in a place where water is not just a tap away. Imagine, imagine preaching this message in sub-Saharan Africa, where people walk miles to get water. And you say, if you thirst for righteousness, see, they know what thirst is. They understand thirst. They understand the uh, the idea that thirst is is, is deadly. So if you thirst for righteousness, you will be filled. Because I, I am willing to make this promise on behalf of God. If you thirst, he will show up. If you mm, just got to have that righteousness, he'll be there. He will show up. This, this, this second group of Beatitudes is all about how we react to our sin. If you thirst for righteousness, it, it, it means that you're thirsting for repentance. You're, you're thirsting for for forgiveness. You're thirsting for these things because that is what makes us righteous, not our own actions. It doesn't say if you have the right checklist, then your thirst will be quenched. If you thirst for righteousness, you will be filled because you are searching and thirsting for that Jesus. And that is always rooted in the forgiveness of our sins. Because once that happens, now righteousness can fill. The next group, Moving on to, the, to verse 7. It says, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. I think I've shared this with you before, but I'm a much better driver now than Emma is driving. Let me rephrase that. I'm a much more patient driver now than Emma is driving. Because I can't even count how many times she's been driving, and I've been in the the passenger seat, and she gets to a stop sign, usually a four way stop. And one minute goes by, 30 minutes go by, an hour goes by, and then she goes. She's safe, but people behind you don't like that. And they start honking. And they honk, and they honk. And then I I see how flustered it makes Emma in the car, that they're honking at her because she's taking too long. And then I remember all the times that I honk at anybody, especially over on, like, in my neighborhood, there's deer everywhere. And people just think it's so cool to stop and look at them in the middle of the road. They might be cool, but at least pull over. The other thing is, is there's all these intersections over there. So no one knows which one has a stop sign, which one doesn't. So some people park, they stop at every one, which is nice. Unless you're behind them. And I just want to honk. But something happened to me when I realized that they might just be learning to drive. That there may be something why they're doing that. And all of a sudden now, I don't honk nearly as much. Bless it. Are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. It is so much easier to extend grace to those when we remember the grace that was extended to us. When we forget about that grace, when we forget about the grace that was shown to us, man, it's easy to judge everyone else. But when we sing songs that we've been so conditioned to sing, uh, that amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That, that 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 line should be really hard to sing, but it's not. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. We have to remember that we are wretched and that grace has saved us. And therefore, those people that don't act like we do, that same grace needs to be extended to them. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. We need to live as if there are people in this world that need mercy. And because we have been shown that, we extend that. There are people that are standing right next to you at work, in line, that are ready to crumble. And it's just one thing away. One, saying, one sentence away. And you have a choice. You can tear them down because they're not moving fast enough, or they have 15 items and a 12 item or less. You can blast them for it, or you can speak life with that mom that's holding the toddler, that's grabbing everything off the shelves, and man, it's driving you crazy, because the kid won't stop crying, you can blast them, or you can speak life. When you're a parent of a toddler, it's like these moments in the grocery store where you just want to go and just show solidarity. Because you've been there, right? You've been there at a restaurant, When your kid's throwing everything off the table or your spouse. That was for you, Megan. Not the kid one. (laughs) We have to be able to show mercy to those that need it. And that's what the kingdom looks like. So if we can show mercy because we have received the mercy that brings the kingdom in. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. <laughs> this one relates right back to this idea of, of, of blessed are those who thirst. Blessed are the pure in heart. Now listen, I know this one. This one completely reflects our attitude toward the Lord. Blessed are the pure in heart. The can, can I just make a just a I'm gonna I'm gonna speak prophetically. There is not a pure in heart person in here right now. We can try. We can do it. Okay, let me just tell you. Let me share some of my non-pure in heart moments. I cannot be in a room where someone says duty and not think of poop. And it can be in the midst of like the most in-depth prayer where they're saying, God, it is our duty. And I'm going to laugh. And I try. Like, I really do try. But there are just things that go through my mind where it is, and I know that's not a huge impure thing, but I need to be focusing on the fact that somebody didn't just say duty. It's funny, right? (laughs) I blame it too many years in youth ministry, really. I mean, that's what it is. We need to be in a place where we can be pure at heart because Those are the people that see the face of God. So what does that look like? It looks like following all the other Beatitudes to now. Hunger and thirst. Claim that mercy. Mourn the things that breaks God's heart. Be a part of this idea that the kingdom is here. And what happens is you begin to become more and more like Jesus. And your heart and your intentions and the things that you want are so much like him that you just go, this, the surrender, the, it's yours, that you can have it. And that purity begins to take hold. And maybe one day, probably right amongst my glorification, I can just see If all the jokes are right, and St. Peter is sitting at the gates, and he comes in and says, well done, you fulfilled your duty. And maybe I won't laugh then. But Actually, if St. Peter says duty, I'm going to laugh. But (laughs) that's just going to be funny. There's this moment where we've transitioned into just seeking after God in such a way that we are pure in heart. And our motives become Pure and the things that we do become pure, and then we see the very face of God. And I think this is what it looks like. When you're leaving Walmart, and there's that guy that has a sign that we don't look at because eye contact's uncomfortable. When we look at him, and we see a human person with human dignity, And you may not roll down your window and give him anything. But you might make eye contact and smile. I think that's what it looks like to be pure in heart and see the face of God. Because in the least of these, in the least of these, when you see the, the person on the corner that seems to be yelling at no one, and you don't jump to, oh man, our world would be so much better without people like that. But instead you mourn that there is mental illness in our world you begin to see the face of God that's the kind of purity that we're talking about you know when you talk to homeless people they say one of the hardest things is that no one looks at them the the feeling of invisibility now that's a crazy thing to think of because I would think the hardest thing would be sleeping outside and freezing temperatures when it's raining It's not what they say. They say it's, I'm invisible. We need to see the face of God. And to do that, we have to become a place where our, our motives are pure. And as we look upon people, we mourn for their circumstances. We thirst for righteousness. And we see them as the face of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Not blessed are those who like peace. Not blessed are those who live in peace. Now, remember, this is also first century non-peaceful. In his audience, there are people here that are just waiting for Jesus to grab a sword and start slicing Romans. Or even better, just call down daggers from heaven. Blessed are the peacemakers. The people that are actively seeking peace. Peace people that are actively trying to make peace, for they will be called the children of God. Because why did Jesus come? Jesus come to create peace. A different kind of peace that Rome had, Pax Ramona, the peace of Rome. The fact that you could travel from one country to another country and not get hijacked by terrorists under the fear of terror. Forced peace is not what Jesus came to bring. Jesus came to bring a peace that surpasses all understanding, something that doesn't make sense in the world. And so we need to be actively making peace. We need to be diffusing situations. We we need to be the ones that speak out against wrongdoing when it's wrong. And sometimes that's going to feel uncomfortable because it may not go along with your political views, with your geographical views, but wrong is wrong regardless and peacemakers need to be able to go, now wait a second, that's wrong. And our job should be that of reconciliation. Our job should be that of, uh, of, of bringing peace with us because we are the children of God and we've inherited this thing called peacemaking. Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called the children of God. The next set starting in verse 10. It says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets before you. Can I just tell you that our world is not always um, real receptive to the message of Christianity. Now, if, you, if you don't believe me, if you think our world is still in a place like that, then Lynn goes to Reno every Saturday to pass out tracks. <laughs> I guarantee. He's hurt some people that aren't like, oh, cool. But here's something I did learn, though. My, my, my immediate family invited four different people to church this last week. And not one of us got yelled at. Now, they're not here. That's not on us yet. They're not here yet, growth mindset. They're not here yet. But not one of us. In fact, the person that I invited was so ecstatic about a church he hasn't been to, and they're looking for a church. I mean, not ecstatic enough to come, but pretty excited about this idea. In fact, it was, it was not just welcomed. It, it was exuberance. I mean, the, girl, the lady that Julia invited gave her a Bible. Bet you don't expect that to happen. You invite someone to church, they give you a Bible. But we live in a world that sometimes thinks that Christianity is, is gone. We don't live in an anti-Christian world. We live in a post-Christian world. Because most people think, oh, it's fine for you. But I don't need it. It's good for you. I mean whatever, whatever works. Teach their own. This is the world we live in. So people may not be antagonistic, but they just believe they don't need it. It's, they're over it, whatever. See you on Easter. And, th- and this becomes kind of the attitude. But Jesus says, "Blessed are those uh, Can I just tell you from a real life perspective this morning? I was really hoping Debbie was going to be here today. Because she was so excited about coming. And I know it's not persecution like we like to think about persecution. But man, it's it's a downer. When you invite someone and then they don't come. Stinks. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you that have made choices that don't look like the world's choices. It can involve how you choose to raise your kids. It can involve the cable subscriptions you have or the shows that you watch. For some of us, it means that we make different choices on where we shop and the things that we buy. It, it, it could, it, your, your stance on recycling might be because of this because you know that we are called stewards of the world and we are to take care of this world. And so the way that you choose to do these things reflect your righteousness. And let me just tell you, some of the choices that we make because we feel a conviction of God, people aren't going to understand. That's okay. Unless it's essential oils, and it's not okay. That's a joke. It's kind of okay. We have to be able to go, God has convicted me to live this way, and I'm going to, regardless of what my neighbors say, regardless of what they say. I am going to honor my convictions. Blessed are those, are you, when you are insult, when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Comma, because of me. People do stupid stuff. And you know what? If you do stupid stuff, people are going to insult you. (laughs) They are going to persecute you. They are going to say all kinds of things about you. So don't do stupid stuff. But when you do things in the name of Jesus that are actually, here's a perfect example. We're about to get these little cards. They should be here next Sunday. They're little invite cards that you can give out to people if, if you are hesitant about inviting them with words. You, you can give them cards. Here, here's the problem. My biggest fear with these cards is that you're going to go to lunch after church. You're going to get your bill. You're going to tip horribly. And you're going to invite them to church. So here's my rule, when you get these cards, if you don't tip, don't you put a card down. I was a server on Sundays for a long time. Church people stink at tipping. People hate working the Sunday afternoon shift because church people are terrible tippers. If you are going to do something in the name of Jesus, make sure it reflects the name of Jesus. And in that case, those people that are going to persecute you for it, it doesn't matter. Because verse 12 says, rejoice and be glad because great is your reward. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets, they persecute you. Rejoice and be glad in all of these things, because great is your reward. This is future language. This is not language for now. This is future. For this is what is going to be. I'm sorry if you're not comforted the way you want to be comforted. I, I, there are ways that I want to be comforted too that don't make sense. But this is not what's happening now. This is what's happening then. The promise is this: the promise of blessing. Is that one day, as John the Revelator dreamed and saw it come down out of heaven, a new Jerusalem will come down. And in the midst of that new Jerusalem, there will be no more sadness. There will be no more tears. There will be no more sickness. There will be no more grief. There will be no more of that. And these beatitudes are like, oh, the blessing is here. Don't miss the promise of blessing because of the circumstances you live in right now. Don't miss the promise of blessing because your life seems not a blessing right now. Don't miss the promise of blessings because you saw someone post hashtag, blessing, hashtag blessed and you think, what? Don't miss this promise because you're overwhelmed with your life. This promise is bigger than that. This promise of those that are blessed is coming. And when it's there, I do believe that joy will change. Mourning will change. Comfort will change.
1: As as the band
0: comes back up, I only know this because I was here this morning while they were practicing. This next song that we're going to sing during connecting time, this is exactly what we're talking about. This is exactly the thing where you, you start in this place of just I don't want anything. I don't have anything. I, I'm so overwhelmed. God's so far away from me. I just want to put up these walls and stay at home. And then we remember the promises. I'm not going to tell you the promise. It's going to give away the chorus. But no matter where we are, the promises are still there. No matter what's going on, the promise is still there. Even in the midst of our nasty, knee-deep crud, God is still present. He is still there, and the blessings are still real. And the promise of blessing is still waiting for you. And I hate to tell you, but it may not look like the blessing that you want. It may look completely different. But don't you dare turn that wine back into water and tell God how to do his job. Because that's what we want to do. And the crazy thing is, not any less than a miracle, right? When you take wine and turn it into water, it's still pretty miraculous. But it's not the miracle that Jesus did. It's not the way he did it. Jess is going to come up, and she's going to go over these connecting time stations. And as she does this, I want you to surrender yourself to this ability to just reach out and know that you are blessed, even in the midst of your chaos and your tragedy. You are blessed.